Coffee Talk includes real talk that may not vibe with some listener preferences. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, glad you could join us on Coffee Talk. I'm Jessie. And I'm Kat. We're two friends that could not be more different. Besides our love for multiple beverages and melodramatic TV shows. We drink coffee, talk about coffee, catch up with you all, and have a real good coffee talk. Hey everyone, welcome back to Coffee Talk and Happy New Year! Yay! Yay! <laughs> uh, I'm really excited for 2021. I know that not everything is magically fixed now that we're in a new year, but I think we're definitely on the right path for things to get better. And I'm optimistic for a whole new year of experiences and chances to do something. What about you, Jess? Yeah, I'm definitely ready for 2020 to be over. Um, I'm just worried with everyone's excitement for 2020 to be over that we're going to like jinx it. And then 2021 is going to be like the the raving killer hornets or something. We're just not going to talk about that. We're okay, going to. No, you're right. We're not <laughs> going to talk about that. New 2021 is it, y'all. We're just going to think positively. That's what we're going to do. And I also just wanted to share this thing that I saw the other day. I think astrology is really cool. And I'm like not super into zodiac signs, but I do definitely think that there's a lot to be studied. And there is a lot of like legitimate sources and facts out there. But anyways, I saw this thing the other day that said Aquarius will rule 2021, February 2021, which is when an Aquarius zodiac sign is. We'll have seven planets in the sign of Aquarius. And the last time something like that happened was when the Dark Ages ended and the Renaissance began, which was a time of rebirth, meaning that this was a time when plagues ended and a spirit shift began. So basically, starting February 2021, a revolution of mind and spirit and healing will begin. So that's what I am holding on to. Gotcha. Um, I, I'm just sticking with my normal uh, mindset, which is the world's ending. I still got to get my stuff done. So I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and hope that the ground doesn't fall out from under me. Ha <laughs> ha. Anyways, on that nice note, we still have holiday merchandise on our website designed by our very own Jessie. We have a couple of beanies, a sweatshirt, a couple of mugs, and all of those would be really, really cute presents for anyone that maybe you forgot to give a gift to at Christmas and need something now. Or you could just be really ahead of the game and get some of your Christmas shopping done for next Christmas today. How is that? Or pitch? if you're cold. <laughs> or you if you're could, cold. Or if you're cold, you could just get a beanie because you're cold. Yeah, a couple of them, even though they kind of have snowy designs, aren't necessarily only for Christmas wearing. Exactly. Okay. So Jess, what are you drinking for this episode? Water. <laughs> <laughs> I had a coffee like an hour ago, and I'm just super dehydrated, so I'm just like really thirsty. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, what about that. you? I feel that I've definitely been I don't know why. I've been really like chugging water lately ever since I came home for the holidays. I'm not really sure why. Anyways, I've just noticed that. Um I'm drinking some warm apple cider and it was warm 
when we first started brainstorming for this episode, but now it's kind of cold. Still good. You mean it's not still warm after starting an hour late? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Exactly. But it, it's mm-hmm. it's like a nice room temperature at this point, and apple cider is one of those things. It's good hot, good cold. It's all good. Yeah, I finished um, my parents back in like October or November they sent me um, Lewisburg Cider Mill I stuff. I love that stuff. Yeah, it's it's a Kansas thing, y'all. Look it up. Um, and I got like a- apple um, apple butter and then also two bottles of their fresh apple cider. And I, I finished that so quick. I love their apple cider. I also really like the Trader Joe's apple cider. Um, basically, I like any apple cider that doesn't have a crab ton of sugar or you know additives added to it i just like actual apple cider um and i found that lewisburg cider mill or trader joe's are both very good options and for any of my 21 and up friends out there i have perfected a recipe for the perfect fall or winter boozy drink you basically just put equal parts of fireball or some sort of cinnamon uh, whiskey and then uh, apple cider into a jug and I like to make it fancy and cut up an apple or two and then put the slices in there to kind of add a little bit more apple flavoring and if you want to get super fancy you can put in some cinnamon sticks as well but that stuff let me tell you I have used it I found this recipe last year when I was hosting a friend's giving and it was gone And it also got everyone so hammered. So I've reused that recipe because it's fun. It's not obnoxious of the taste of alcohol, but it's, you know, that little tang is there. And overall, it's just, it's just a great fall drink to have. You can serve it hot or cold as well. Awesome. Well, it's winter now. You could still have it in winter. (laughs) Right. Whiskey is good for any time of the year. (laughs) For real. And you could just, this time, just make it hot. Serve it hot. And honestly, that is a good drink to have. Definitely. So, besides drinking, (laughs) what's going on with you? Well, I have some really exciting news. Uh, My dog that I had for most of my life, I literally got him when I was four, passed away at the age of 17 last August um, 2019 and it you know really hurt me but it also really hurt my mom and he had been with us forever and my mom has always had a dog in her life if not two and so we went from having you know a dog around the house and especially the last few years of his life he wasn't as active and so um, my mom has really been missing that presence of, you know, a lively, playful animal that wants to go on walks and play ball and all that kind of stuff. And so we have been looking for probably like the last eight or nine months, honestly, on adoption like shelter websites. Shout out to PetFinder.com. That's an excellent place to kind of like mass search all the shelters in your area. And you can even filter it down by like breed or size or age or whatever. But anyways, we've been looking online for months and months and months because especially once the pandemic hit, my mom wanted to get a dog for more companionship when she started working from home and she was really like, okay, it is quiet here. We have a cat, but you know, it's a cat. She meows and hangs out with my mom and cuddles with her, but it's kind of different when it comes to companionship. So 
my mom and I were adamant about finding the dog over winter break after months of not really vibing with any of the ones that we had come across. And we literally, from a friend, I don't believe in coincidences, but this is just so cool. A friend of mine that I have known since I was literally born, like we were neighbors in the neighborhood when both of us were born, um, I have on Snapchat. And I saw she was putting all of these snap stories about how she got a job as a volunteer at one of the SPCA shelters in my hometown. And I've seen her post all this cute stuff and I reached out and was like, hey, you know, where are you working? My mom and I are looking to adopt. And she gave us the name and then told us that like, you know, if there's anything in specific you're looking for, I can keep an eye out and let you know if that comes in. So we just said, you know, a small dog, preferably kind of like young puppy age and just let us know. And she texted me about, honestly, like a week and a half ago and said they were expecting a whole litter of 10-month-old lab dachshund mix puppies. And my mom loves dachshunds. And so she set us up with an appointment to go meet, like, all the dogs there. And literally, this was the first shelter my mom and I visited in person and not, like, online. And we met with two dogs before finding the dog. And we just brought him home yesterday. So we have a new dog and I'm really, really happy about it. He's actually lightly snoring right next to me right now. Oh, little baby. Yeah, I'm really excited for my mom to have a companion animal. And he's already such a sweet, sweet boy, sweet lap dog. We named him Lincoln. My family has a tradition of naming all of our animals after cars. So we thought Lincoln would be kind of cute, Link for short cute love it all the pictures yeah i've been bombarding jesse with all the pictures as with anyone that's like oh you have a new dog i'm like yes let me show you (laughs) let me show you his face his butt his body him lying on his back him lying on his Mm. belly yeah all of it so cute jesse how have you been well, besides living vicariously through you, <laughs> um, I mean, you just commissioned me for an art project at the last minute, as per usual. So <laughs> that's that's what's new with me. Um, Badger's dog just got back from the vet after having some bumps removed. No, um, but they were totally benign. He's just a worrywart, and one of them removed and she's fine and she loves the vet she gets so excited whenever we go because it means that she gets peanut butter oh yeah so she's a she's a good baby that's so good yep so it's just all the dogs all the dogs all the dogs everywhere yes the doggos yeah i was telling jesse i keep crying because i keep looking at his sweet little face and again he's so cute and you know he's a puppy and small and those tend to get adopted pretty fast in shelters so i have no doubt he would have found a home but it just makes me happy knowing that i contributed to or my mom i guess i should say contributed to saving a life you know definitely and he's so happy he's very happy i just feel like shelter dogs have this this understanding and gratitude to them if that makes sense it's almost like they know that they were just rescued in the sense that you do so i don't know i feel like they're always very good doggos and um also some other good news in the world i don't know if this is because of the holidays or the pandemic or both but 
We visited several shelters after this first one that we went to just to see if like there was any other dogs that we connected with. And almost every place we went, and we literally made it out to like five different places, most of the shelters in the entire area um, are almost all adopted out. Like it's crazy. And there were wait lists and there were people that were like waiting in line just to go into the shelter to see dogs. So a lot of animals have been adopted, which is really, really cool. And the shelters are practically empty. I mean, if it's not a a Christmas present issue. Oh, yeah. Most places that we go now, um, or shelters in general, I guess I should say, have a mandatory thing where they like ask on the adoption application, are you adopting this pet as a gift? And then if it's ever a gift for like children or whatever, then they require that the kids come meet the dog before um, they send them home and they do checks like that. But I heard this funny story the other day that this family did want to adopt a dog from the shelter for Christmas, but this dog had never been around young children before. But the parents didn't want to spoil the surprise. And so what they did is they brought the neighbor kids in that were the same age oh my God. to see how the dog interacted with young children and then all went well. And of course, the shelter knew this and they're like, you can bring in any kids. We just have to make sure that he specifically is open to like, you know, a young child energy and stuff like that. And so they brought in the neighbor kids <laughs> to test it out and all went well. That is hilarious. I... I would not, I don't know, like for us, it it was always like a whole family event to go and look for whatever we were adopting, but I've only ever had rescues, like I've never had like a a pet store breeder animal. Yeah, here's my random tidbit of the day, please never shop at Petland, please. Yeah, don't, they're garbage. Yeah, and they have a lot of investigations against them right now for animal abuse. And it's good because it's getting all of their branches closed down, but they still think, I think, have about 80 locations around the U.S. So, buyer beware. All right, okay. music. We, I was going to say, we're going we're <laughs> to talk about dogs the whole time if, if we have the opportunity. So, Jesse, any new music you've been listening to lately? Yeah, so on the way to the vet today um, to get the sutures removed... Um, Badger put on Mac Lethal, which is kind of a punk rapper. He's a white American rapper from Kansas City, uh, Missouri, actually. So, small world. Uh, And he used to be a local radio host on the local radio station 96.5 The Buzz, too, which is super dope. Yeah. That is really cool. Yeah. I like that Badger found him. That's like a funny twist. I know it's it's such a small world. It's wild, and MacLeithal is really good. So you sh- if you like that like old '90s punk, edgy rap sound, that's kind of like a weird fusion. Do it, do it. Listen to MacLeithal. So yeah. Uh, what about you? What are you listening to? I have not been listening to a lot of music other than Christmas music. Usually since now that like I have Goldie and his family and, you know, I just tend to celebrate Christmas in a couple different areas. Like I have different people to give presents to, so on and so forth. I usually end up also exchanging gifts sometimes into the first few days of the new year. 
So I'll, you know, keep the Christmas decorations up till then and still listen to Christmas music till then. And um, so I've been just listening to a lot of Christmas music still. But one thing that I have been really getting into lately is Bozzy. And I don't know if I'm saying his name right. B-A-Z-Z-I. He definitely has some hits that have been, you know, really popular on the radio and, you know, top 50 US and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of his work is just just beautiful beautiful music i don't know what it is he he's like post malone to me that so much of the sound and his voice just really just really works and clicks for me so i've been giving some of his more um i guess not as popular i should say songs a listen and i'm still really vibing with him as an artist so yeah love his style cool i don't know if i've ever listened to this this dude I feel like you 100% have because even though he has been a little mainstream, his noise isn't necessarily mainstream. Like, for example, some of his top songs are um, oh, like Paradise, Paradise I've or I've listened to Mine. Paradise, yeah. I, I know Mine is really popular too. Yeah, I actually think I can hear his voice in my head, so I actually think I have listened to him. Yeah. <laughs> He just has a beautiful voice, too, in general. Not only is the music good, but his just voice is so smooth and pretty. And I love just the vibe of the music. It's very, in a way, romantic. I mean, a lot of his songs are romantic-based, but I really, really like them. They're good to listen to if you're in kind of a either a chill mood or like also a sunny mood. Um, I like studying to his music, too. Cool. All right, I'll definitely do more research since I clearly didn't recognize them by the name. Uh, Without further ado, I want to introduce the topic just a little bit. This isn't necessarily like a special episode the way we do, you know, for Christmas and Halloween, but it is kind of a special topic episode and we're doing it in honor of the new year. So we're going to talk a little bit about habits, different New Year's resolutions, our New Year's resolutions, and then go into how we set expectations for ourselves. And then we'll end the episode talking about both Jesse and Mai's personality types, specifically with the Myers-Briggs test and the Enneagram test. So Jesse, take it away with your facts. Yes. So, okay. No shock here. But a 2019 Forbes article says studies show 80% of New Year's resolutions fail. Boo. Yep. Uh, Some experts argue the largest barriers to behavioral uh, and life changes are habits, fear, and uh, negative past experience. So, not super surprising, but, you know, it's, it's nice to have it broken down like that. And then also, I thought this was kind of funny, but a survey, uh, a 2020 survey that showed the top 10 resolutions for 2020 were one, actually doing my New Year's resolution. (laughs) (laughs) Two, trying something new. Three, eat more of my favorite foods. Four, I don't need any help with that. (laughs) (laughs) Four, lose weight or diet. Five, go to the gym. Six, be happier or better uh, with my mental health. Seven, be more healthy. Eight, 
be a better person. Nine, upgrade my technology. <laughs> and 10, staying motivated. Interesting. Yeah, so I think it's kind of interesting that at least for 2020, it seemed like most of the resolutions were just people trying to break habitual habits or change habitual habits, not not like anything humongous, life-change-wise. Right. And I like how a lot of it's centered on just improving themselves, if that makes sense. Like, it's not mm-hmm. get more money or whatever. It's, you know, be happier, be healthier, go to the gym kind of thing. That That's kind of uplifting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I also have a little bit of a tidbit to throw in here. I wanted to know how long it takes to form a new habit because I've always heard the phrase, it's only 21 days or whatever. So I wanted to see if that was actually backed by science. And what I found was super interesting. So I wanted to share. There was this guy named Maxwell Maltz and he was a plastic surgeon in the 1950s. And he started noticing this pattern among his patients where he would perform some sort of altering operation, like a nose job, for example. And then it would take the patient about 21 days to get used to seeing that new addition to them. Or like if there was an amputation, there would be a phantom limb type thing for about 21 days before adjusting. So then he kind of basically decided that that all meant that it only took 21 days for an old mental image to dissolve and a new one to form. So that's where the whole, it only takes 21 days to form a habit came from, which really isn't obviously reliable at all. And so this is a common myth that's been spread throughout society, or they say something like 30 days or less, whatever. And that's actually not true. So how it actually, how long it actually takes to build a new habit is about 66 days and on average it's about two months Um, and it could take anywhere from 18 days to 254 days to form a new habit depending on the person and this was picked up by a researcher um, and they studied the habits of 96 people over a 12-week period and each person chose one new habit and then reported on whether or not they did it and how automatic the behavior felt And so that's where they got that number, which is an actual, you know, scientific research project. Basically, it's going to be about two months, but if you can hold on to that resolution of yours until February, you have a really good chance of sticking to it. Nice. Okay. That's cool. Do you think that that's true for you? Oh, definitely. I kind of want to talk about that a little bit later into the episode when we talk about how we set expectations for ourselves. But in short, yes, I definitely think that that would be applicable for me. See, I'm super pessimistic. I would think that everybody would take like a minimum of a year. Sometimes, you know, I feel like it like it's different for the circumstance too because some of the resolutions or I should say habits that were studied in that study I mentioned were like drinking a full bottle of water with lunch every day. That's not necessarily a difficult habit to get into. That's more like muscle memory. Are you going to remember and are you going to follow through drinking the whole bottle of water every single day at lunch or not? Something that might take more time or effort like going to the gym every day or meal prepping or budgeting, I don't know, stuff like that. That might take more like a year to completely set in stone. Maybe I just hang around like compulsively habitual people, but I... I've never seen anyone 
create a new habit or change their lifestyle in any way at all in less than six months. (laughs) That's a good point. So speaking of, Jess, what are your New Year's resolutions? Pretty much what 2020s was. (laughs) That obviously didn't happen because 2020 was a dumpster fire. Uh, Learning French because I'm still extremely behind in where I wanted to be. Uh, Saving money for the exact same reason, except that the whole money thing in 2020 was kind of like a sucker punch to the face. Uh, And I'm just trying to like heal my jaw uh, financially. (laughs) And uh, then the other part is studying for the LSAT because I, I want to get that done as soon as possible because I hate tests and I'm just stalling on it and I need to do it. Fair enough. Yeah. What about you? I have not totally sat down and done my thing that I usually do every year where I kind of like meditate on it and think about it really deeply and journal a little bit. But just stuff that I know off the bat that I would really like to adopt in 2021 is starting vet school and starting on a really strong note. Like I would love to end my first semester with like a 4.0 or whatever grade scale that they have. I would also really like to take the year to save up a lot of money and start a really positive chain of reaction for creating my life for kind of the next four years because wherever I settle for vet school, that's where I'm going to be living and especially in relation to like my mom and Goldie and hopefully like I'll be able to be very close to them. But I want to make sure that I'm setting up that next four years of my life for success wherever I end up. And then I want to continue some stuff that I had started in 2020, like eating really healthy and staying really well hydrated and taking care of like my skin as well as working out. I have really hit several of my fitness goals. I still have more, but that's something that I want to continue into 2021. Definitely. I I definitely feel the um, starting off school on a strong note, uh, at least for me, like the summer before college was incredibly consequential to my success for my three years of undergraduate. Definitely. At least financially because, well, and also academically because I took summer classes, I think. Maybe I didn't. Did I? I don't know. I feel like I did. (laughs) So let's just say that I did. And uh, I also worked 13 hour days for two and a half months and saved up like several grand that allowed me to not have to work um, in my first couple semesters. So that that was like hugely uh, effective and helping me be successful in the first year. I definitely want to do that too. This is going to be the caveat for vet students everywhere is that one of the major parts of a vet school application is how many hours have you shadowed under a vet. So internship. For most majors and most people in the world, you can get a paid internship not for pre-vet students. No one is going to pay you to follow a vet around at appointments when you legally can't really participate or help them out whatsoever. That basically equates to the fact that you either get to pick the really, really fun conundrum between do I get a job and make money so I can thrive and pay for my life or do I get hours for my application so I can actually go to vet school? Ha 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 ha. So I've spent most of my college summers 
juggling between the two, like doing a job in the AM and then shadowing in the second half of the day. But this is going to be the first summer that I can basically work full time. And that's a really exciting prospect to me. Yeah, I bet. So now that we've talked a little bit about our resolutions, Jess, how do you set expectations for goals for yourself? Like, how do you make your goals happen? Well, I think the most critical part of my setting expectations for myself is that I am mean. I am not a nice, uh, easygoing person with myself. Uh, if, if anyone's caught those vibes just hearing me on the podcast, imagine what the internal voice is saying towards myself. <laughs> so I have like no chill when it comes to maintaining expectations for myself. Uh, If I set a goal, I expect myself to complete it. And if I do not complete it, I have to face myself and explain myself to myself, if that makes sense. It's all very circular, but you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So the first thing is that I just am super intense in my standards, except this last year. This last year, I realized that I was not going to mentally survive if I maintained the same expectations as all the years before. So um, life goals definitely took a big hit, and I've been struggling to recover and get my work ethic back. So when I kind of lessened my expectations during the huge... COVID, uh, like quarantine and pandemic and the like financial losing a job and getting laid off and then switching jobs again and again, I kind of lost my sense of work ethic and also just worth in my work. So uh, that kind of hurt my self-motivation a little bit on the financial side. Um, So I've been recovering from that. But normally... I'm really intense. And uh, like, for example, uh, in the past, um, such as when I decided to become vegan, I just became vegan. I'm a cold turkey person is is basically what I'm saying. I just go cold turkey if I decide something's bad for me or um, like working out. I'm easily self-motivated. So uh, once I start working out once, then I want to keep doing it. So really after like the first two times of working out, the the habit's been set from then on because I'm intrinsically motivated then to keep going back. But what about you? I definitely see that in you. Like 100%. Everything we ever did in school together, even just school in general, Jessie would always just commit herself 100% and get it done. And that is why you are a reliable friend and a reliable person. And I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah. Me, on the other hand, I would definitely agree that I'm similar to you, that I am a cold turkey person, and that, well, first of all, I am really careful about, this is kind of random, but when you said cold turkey, I'm really careful about anything that, like, I let into my life. Um, Both sides of my family have history of addiction, and so I know that addiction can be really prevalent, and I'm genetically predisposed to it, so I know that about myself. That's why do a lot of things in moderation. I also have in the past been um, diagnosed with OCD and that is also fun fact one of my biggest pet peeves in lives in my life is hearing people be like 
oh my god i had to have my room clean i'm so ocd or i color code my planner i'm so ocd it's like you have no idea (laughs) what ocd is and trivializing a mental disorder that affects so many people so much worse than me i'm very mild in my ocd is just horrendous so please to anyone listening stop saying that you have anxiety or ocd as like either a joke or like a fun thing or as a simile because it's not something that's relatable if you don't actually have it and it hurts the people that do have it if you're just trivializing the matter and making it sound really common yeah it invalidates like your experience so yeah so anyways there's my little spiel there but um I definitely chalk some of this up to the OCD, but I've tried really hard to put the OCD like in my control, if that makes sense. So I do pay a lot of attention to detail and that's where I take goal setting. I definitely am a planner and I like to plan things out. So I take my goal setting and New Year's resolutions very, very seriously. I usually have them on like a sticky note that's on the home screen of my computer. So I'm pretty consistently looking at it. Sometimes I'll make like a vision board type thing for my year, New Year's resolution style and, you know, keep that in my room. But I definitely take steps for success and intentionally take steps for success. I consider myself a very intentional person in what I do. So I also like to do goal setting for new places and situations. Like for example, when I started my undergrad degree, after I spent a semester at the school, I sat down over winter break and I wrote out everything that I wanted to accomplish by the time I graduated. So whether it was like a leadership position or like a club I wanted to join or a social goal or something like that. Like I wrote all of that down. So then every semester I would go at the beginning of the semester, I would go to that list of goals that I had and I would look at, okay, what do I need to do this semester to work towards accomplishing that goal? And that's how I would determine like my to-do list for every semester. Um, and like what I what steps I basically needed to take to reach said goals. So I like to do that if I'm embarking on a new journey or a new part of my life. That way I have a set idea of what I'm working towards. And it feels like I am working towards something and not just like working for the sake of working, basically. I want to enjoy what I'm doing and I want to find what I'm passionate in. And then I want to like specifically succeed in those areas that I'm passionate in. Definitely. In regards to expectations for myself, um, I just really want to be happy and I want to be helpful to others. And I try to do things that align with those two things. Like I want to make a difference in the world by helping others. And I also really want to be happy along the way because I've known people like my mom, for example, who are incredibly helpful people and they give and they give and they give. But then sometimes it hurts them in the end because they're so giving that they're like not putting themselves first. So that's something that I want to be more conscious about is being a caregiver, but caring for myself as well. That's a good goal. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I I guess I should have mentioned that like a big part of how I set expectations is just like putting in my calendar. Like that's the easiest way. Like I pretend like my calendar is set by somebody else. And then when I get a notification, Smart. I'm like, oh, oh, gotta, man, Nancy needs me at four <laughs> for 
it's my it's my Nancy. My made up uh calendar setter person. Yeah. I don't know. It sounds <laughs> like secretary. an official like yeah, it sounds like an official like secretary name. I don't know. That's hilarious. Yeah. Nancy. I don't know. You're gonna have to talk to Nancy. She sets all my appointments. The person calling you and the person's like, okay, I guess transfer me to Nancy and then you're like, hmm, hello, this is Nancy. <laughs> Oh God, I I'm not that that messed up. I'm not there <laughs> yet. Maybe maybe I shouldn't speak on my own behalf before we get to the Myers Briggs. But yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've talked about how you set expectations for yourself, but do that does that differ in how you set expectations for your loved ones? It didn't used to, but over the years, I've tried really hard to change how I approach expectations and how I set expectations for um, people around me because I realized pretty early on but it was kind of one of those denial things where I resisted and I resisted learning this lesson for years that people don't live how I live. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, setting expectations that someone can't even visualize or um, actualize in any sort of capacity isn't productive. So uh, the way that I have maintained some of the ways that I set expectations for myself with then doing that with loved ones is that I'm still very firm and very concise when I need something from someone. But I've really tried over the years to use I and or we language instead of you language um, because I don't want to sound accusatory when I'm asking for something like that's <laughs> that's not starting off on a good note. Um, so I definitely try to be pragmatic in the way that I pr approach setting expectations or dealing with confrontation um, because at the end of the day, expressing how I'm feeling inside while asking for something is less pragmatic than just using the most tactical language in order to get what I'm asking for and convey my concern at the same time, if that makes sense. So, um, for example, uh, an expectation I've set with Badger is that like I like raise voices is a thing that Badger and I had to change in our relationship pretty early on. Um, when people get upset, it's pretty common that they tend to involuntarily raise their voice, uh, whether it's just like an octave or actually yelling. Um, but I don't react well to any of that. Uh, it scares me a lot and I shut down and it's really triggering. So, um, and then like a small issue where somebody's just really passionate becomes like a bigger issue with like a bigger emotional response that takes longer to, to get over. So we had to compromise. Um, and it's easier now because uh, some of Badger's habits have changed uh, in response to the compromise we made. Um, so it's even easier than it was after the initial compromise, which made it easy, if that makes sense. So like over time, it's gotten even better and better beyond the compromise itself. So. Uh, the compromise, though, is that, like, we agreed that no no one in a disagreement can raise their voice, um, but also we had to allow each other space if, yeah. if a conversation got too hot and one of us needed to, like, take time and either 
compose ourselves or collect our thoughts or just like we got triggered and needed to walk away or um, take some time. And we, it's pretty much like the raised voices thing is almost like a non-issue now. Like we don't really have that issue much anymore. Um, I admittedly still struggle not to like force an argument uh, when Badger needs like time. Um, but I'm, I'm working on it. I just tend to be a little bit pushy and impatient. <laughs> I'm like you on that. I'm like, okay, I want to have this conversation now. I want to get it over with. I want to resolve it. Let's do this immediately. And then people around me are like, either like, I just woke up or I want to yeah. go to bed or I'm half asleep. And I'm like, nope, let's resolve now. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm like absolutely that. like that. Yeah. But what about you? How do you like set expectations? It's funny that you started by saying that you're pretty firm in your friendships because I think I need to work on being more firm. Like, for example, whenever I call Jessie, I'm always asking her for advice on a relationship friendship situation, or I usually am, I should say. I ask you for advice in other aspects, but I do value your opinion in uh, friendships type things. But a lot of times it's basically her telling me how to set boundaries and how to be more firm about not allowing things to happen that... I don't like or I'm uncomfortable with and she kind of has to give me tips on how to do that confrontation and I would say that I have very similar conversations like that with my mom too where I will ask her opinion on how I should handle a situation and it's basically her kind of trying to um, nurture me through the steps of confrontation and it's not like I'm not a confrontational person when necessary. I have absolutely no problem telling someone to leave me the hell alone or get away from me or you know we need to take a break from our friendship kind of thing like when it's serious and when it matters I have no problem in confrontation but it's the small stuff especially in friendships and relationships that I care so much about and I don't want to negatively impact by my own thoughts and actions that I struggle to bring up those not so pleasant conversations so I'm also extremely forgiving (laughs) And I will say, though, that as I've gotten older, that is something that's really changed about me. And I think I even said this in one of the first episodes of the podcast, but I want to say that that is just not true anymore. Not that it's changed since we started the podcast, but it's just an outdated perspective and I need to stop pretending that that's how I live. But basically, I used to have this philosophy that as long as someone treated me well and with respect, then I would be nice to them and have a good perspective perspective of them. And I think that was a really good trait for me to have as a kid because it meant I was really understanding and patient. And like I literally used to be friends with bullies in school because they would be nice to me. And even though they were jerks to everyone else, they were nice to me. So then I'd be nice to them. And that's how things worked for a long time in my life. But now that I'm older, I found that I just can't excuse behavior like that. Because for example, like I don't, necessarily want to spend time with someone that is rude or intentionally hurtful to another person. I just, I don't want to be around that because who's to say that they won't eventually turn that on me or even not even just for myself, but I don't want to pretend like hurting someone else in any capacity, even if they're not hurting me is okay. So that's definitely something that's been changing with me the older I get. So that's an expectation for loved ones that I have that I want to know that they care for others in a good, wholehearted way and that they have baseline respect for all people, no matter what. Um, 
And even though I would still consider myself a pretty forgiving person, as long as someone else is willing to be open-minded, then I am too. Like, I definitely don't vibe well with someone that's dead set in their impressions, ideas, or opinions. And I think, like I said before, the baseline expectation that I have for my loved ones is that they have to be respectful of me and my boundaries. So even though I kind of just talked about not being firm, there are a few boundaries that I have that are huge for me because like they are stuff that I have I have decided are like deal breakers in friendships and relationships and um, so you know crossing that line even after giving warning is something that I just don't I'm not okay with and same that like I really want people to try and keep up a friendship like I will repeatedly reach out but if I'm not getting anything like I am going to give up and I'm not going to look back And kind of the last thing that I always have is that I want a mutually beneficial relationship. Um, That was a really hard-learned lesson that I had in high school. I very oftentimes would give and give and give and give and give, but I would never receive. And I can't do that anymore. Like, I just can't. So I want to make sure that both sides, both me and the other person, are benefiting. You know, like, sometimes I listen, sometimes they listen. Sometimes they're helping me out and sometimes I'm helping them out sort of thing. I'm so glad that you moved past that hypocrisy of being friends with shitty people. Yeah, Jessie always had a problem with that in high school. Like, she'd be like, how can you be friends with, you know, so-and-so? Like I said, I was friends with bullies. And I'd be like, well, they're nice to me. And she'd be like, you can't. (laughs) She was like, no. I was like, that's immoral. And, like, you should examine your morality. (laughs) Yeah. I I can't allow that to go unchecked anymore. I just have a really big problem with people that yeah hurt others intentionally i can't imagine why right (laughs) it's not like i'm really empathetic or anything (laughs) right um so what so since you struggle so much with maybe setting expectations with other people maybe you can give some tips on on you know like setting expectations and stuff like that do you have any tips i would just The only thing I really have is that I think either goal setting or boundary setting or expectation setting or all three of them, quite honestly, is really important. And I think it's also highly dependent on just you as a person. And so um, I think it's critical to know what you want, whether it's like I said, a goal or what you need out of another person in a relationship. But that way, once you know that, then you can actually develop mutually beneficial relationships and a beneficial life for yourself and then you feel fulfilled so that's kind of my thing but honestly a lot of that does seem to be dependent on your personality type so before we get to personality types Jess do you have any other tips for creating good habits or goal setting expectation setting yeah so I actually have a pretty strong opinion (laughs) okay surprise um about setting expectations and how to do it um so i argue that the biggest barrier to behavioral improvement or meeting expectations or even setting expectations with other people is habitual behavior so like habitual behavior is all the things that you do every day without thinking so like brushing your teeth, tying your shoes, getting dressed, they're not things that are literally involuntary, like your heart beating, but it's things that are 
practically involuntary in, in your lifestyle. Um, and so the without thinking part is the part I take issue with. Um, if you become conscientious of everything you do, uh, and especially all the things that you do without thinking, uh, like the mundane repetitive stuff, like eating lunch and brushing your teeth and, and like going to bed and all that stuff and the way that you sleep at night, then it'll be easier to change either those things or even bigger things in your life. Because once you start paying attention, it's easier to to keep paying attention and to notice things that are wrong and to be bothered by those things that, that you're doing wrong or that are being done wrong in your life. Um, so you can start adding and subtracting and adjusting things in your life from then on. If you don't care enough to think about how you maintain your dental health while you're brushing your teeth, then how will you magically start giving a shit about your nutritional health while you're eating? Um, so it's that kind of like ideology um, that I that I argue in favor of. That's pretty excellent advice. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know if everybody would, like, find that very easy. I don't think it's an easy thing to change, obviously, to start thinking about things that you've never thought about. But I think it's a good place to start. It also could totally lead to, like, you know, being completely neurotic and not not being able to do anything without knocking three times or something. But, you know, it... Who knows? <laughs> Give it a try. Yeah. See if you develop obsessive compulsive disorder, you know. For real. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely important to again like know everything about OCD. Like I said, I'm I'm very mild in it. I don't struggle too much, but a lot of mine is definitely brought on by trauma. And that's the kind of sad thing is that mine manifested in a really weird way. And when I get more stressed, like it's worse. So, yeah. Well, that makes sense. I mean, of course, that that tends to be how it is with most mental disorders. And people don't realize that also like substances um, increase uh, those sorts of um, disorder behaviors as well. That's another Um, reason why I'm so careful with what I allow myself to get into. But that's a topic for a different day. I, I'm right. <laughs> okay, personality types. So, like I said, a lot of goal setting seems to be really dependent on personality types. So, I'm sure that after everything I just said, no one is going to be surprised to hear what my either Myers Briggs or um, Enneagram is. So, the first thing I want to just ask in a very brief question is Do you think that personality tests are legit? In short, yes, I do. And just whether it's from biology standpoint or the psychology classes I've taken, I definitely believe that certain tests are very legitimate. And the only thing that I have to say about it is sometimes it scares me and makes me a little sad how ununique personality tests make me feel. Like I'm grouped into a category along with millions of other people and just fit right in. Or you fit into multiple. But point is, is you're in a category or you're in a few different categories. And so is like so many other people. (laughs) Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, So for me, uh, I'd say like for for the most part, I think that um, at least like the more traditional personality tests, such as like the Myers-Briggs is is definitely um, legitimate. I mean, it's based off of like basic or what I consider basic psychological uh, reasoning and research. And um, 
you know, it's really just putting names to characteristics you're already aware you have. Exactly. Uh, but it just makes it easier to maybe digest and and uh, com- compress. So as long as you um, are in fact taking the correct exam and you're not taking some sort of like pseudo or quasi Myers Briggs test um, that like you found a online. Buzzfeed. What exactly Harry Potter character are you? <laughs> exactly. As long as you're taking like legitimate tests, you'll get legitimate answers. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but I guess like for me, I definitely don't feel ununique when I take these. I always feel kind of like the odd man out when I take these, which is interesting. Um they make me nervous because at least like as a kid, I tended to get two results in equal measure at very high percentages. So it definitely made me feel like I had like an alter personality that I didn't know um, or something. I will say that I usually run very close to two different things. Like I've never been one size fits all in personality tests like a lot of it usually if they show percentages you know of what type you are or whatever I usually have a few that are very high like this is not really personality what well, kind of is but like for example the love languages test I have like three tied for my top one and there's like a leadership test that's similar like how do you lead and I like how do you lead and follow and stuff like that and again that was you know, a tie. Like I usually have ties and things like that as well. Mm. But Jess, you're more like ties with three or four things, whereas I'm ties with like two or three. Yeah. Well, this time it was three, three or four. But yeah, you as a kid, um, my dad would give me like personality tests instead of IQ and IQ tests because <laughs> every year I would ask because I just you know had low self esteem and wanted a number for how stupid I was and he thought this was an unhealthy idea <laughs> so yeah, imagine would, that he would pretend to give me an IQ test and just give me another personality test and every time I would get two uh, he had like a military based one like it was like general and like attorney general and like a couple of other ones, but it was like a military based one. And I got like two answers. And the problem is, is that it's never just two answers. It's always like both at very high percentages. So like very strong results for both and they're opposites. It's like always that they're opposites. (laughs) So I just don't, yeah, I don't know. It used to make me feel very self-conscious. So yeah. Have you ever gotten rare ones? Like, that's what I usually get. I'll get results and they'll be like, this is one of the rarest, you know, personality types. And sometimes I don't know if they're just trying to, like, gas you up. But usually I feel like I get results that say this is a really unique result. Yeah, I always get, um, I mean, besides, like, the type A, type B, type C, and those, like, the original personality tests that, like, most people think of, um, besides that one... Yes, I almost always get, like, this is the rarest. It's not like this is one of. It's always like, this is the rarest. And do you find that they're usually accurate? Like, do you find that personality tests can personify you? Um, yes, in a sense. Like, I guess, like, the way that they interpret the characteristics. Like, they're usually spot on with the characteristics, but they usually interpret those characteristics differently than I would interpret them or I guess apply value differently than I would 
apply value to them. Like sometimes they put weaknesses that I don't see as weaknesses, like, or they put strengths that I don't really see as strengths or um, things like that. Uh, But the only like quote personality test I've ever taken that I thought was just dead wrong is my Zodiac sign. Oh, Yeah, I think it's just dead wrong. Like, I don't seek attention. I definitely don't care about being a leader. Like, I would say that I'm a natural leader, but I don't... Like, if somebody was... If somebody was also a natural leader with me, I'd probably want to give it to them. <laughs> you know, like, I don't want to You're a Leo, right? on stage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that is... Well, some of the Leo characteristics I can see in you, like strong-willed and... Yeah determined and bold and like sassy I can see those yeah those but like some of the quote like main character vibes (laughs) yeah yeah are like attention seeking and wanting to be the center of attention and wanting to be like the leader and like wanting to be in charge and wanting to control things and I'm like I'm not like, I want to control myself in my life, but not necessarily, like, a group of people or, like, and definitely not in every situation. So, I don't know. Like, that's the only one where I'm like, I think you're full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, without further ado, let's actually talk about the two personality type assessments that we're going to discuss here. We're both going to share a Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram. And just as kind of a brief background, I picked these two For us to share because they're arguably the most common and the ones that you see the most and hear about the most. Um, They both are also backed by like a lot of science. So I definitely trust the process of it. And I think that they're very legitimate. They've also definitely been around for a while. And so that holds some merit to it also. So these are also pretty specific personality type assessments and they categorize you. So first we're going to talk about our Myers-Briggs scores. So I am an ENFJ, which stands for extroverted, intuitive, feeling, and judging personality traits. So it's coined the protagonist as the character that I am. So protagonists are warm, forthright types love helping others, and they tend to have strong ideas and values. They back their perspective with the creative energy to achieve their goals. And before I go any further, just to give credit where credit is due, we got all of the little descriptions we're saying off of the uh, Myers-Briggs website. So protagonists are natural born leaders full of passion and charisma. They're forming around 2% of the population. They are oftentimes politicians, coaches, teachers, reaching out and inspiring others to achieve and do good. With a natural confidence that begets influence, protagonists take a great deal of pride and joy in guiding others to improve themselves and their community. So, people with the protagonist personality type are passionate altruists, sometimes to a fault. They are unlikely to be afraid to take the slings and arrows while standing up for people and ideas they believe in. So, it is no wonder that many famous ones are either cultural political icons. This personality type wants to lead the way to a brighter future, whether it's by leading to prosperity or leading their little league softball team to a hard-fought victory. So, some famous ENFJs that you might know are Barack Obama, Oprah, and I'm really going to try not to butcher her name here. I'm so bad about names. Um, Malala Yousafzai, or Yousafazi, I think. Yeah, Yousafazi. 
Okay. Jennifer Lawrence and Maya Angelou. Strengths of a protagonist are they are tolerant, reliable, charismatic, altruistic, natural leaders. Weaknesses are they are overly idealistic, too selfless, too sensitive, fluctuating self-esteem, and they struggle to make tough decisions. And then the last little section I wanted to throw in here um, is on the Myers-Briggs website. They have little blurbs about how each personality type acts either in a romantic or a friendship situation. And I thought that was pretty applicable to kind of our discussion in our podcast. So in romantic relationships, protagonists can lose themselves. They need routine stability and their personality type believes that the only true happiness is mutual happiness. And that's hilarious because literally earlier this episode, I was talking about needing a mutually beneficial relationship. (laughs) Um, And lastly, with friendships, sometimes protagonists are hard to keep up with but they will put active effort into maintaining all connections, viewing them as substantial and important and not letting anything slip away through laziness or inattention. Do you think that that's accurate? I'd say most of that is accurate. I, I honestly, I think I haven't taken that test since freshman year of college. So it might be a little bit outdated in some of it because I definitely was more like power hungry at that point in my life um, and caring way more about like my social status and my social image at that point in my life. But for the most part, a lot of like the strengths and weaknesses are pretty accurate. Yeah, I think so too. And now you just. Okay, fine. (laughs) um wow you're so so attention seeking (laughs) i know um so i've i've taken this test uh i mean my dad gave it to me when i was probably like 10 or something and then i took it again in high school and then i took it again in college because everybody wants to know and i don't know why they want to know but i've always gone an infj it stands for introverted intuitive feeling and judging um and uh, the, it's, it's, sorry, the character for that is the advocate. Um, so they tend to approach life with deep thoughtfulness and imagination. Um, advocates are supposedly the rarest personality types of all. Ooh. Yeah. I, I don't know, whatever. Uh, they have a deep sense of idealism and integrity, but they aren't ideal or idle dreamers, so they take concrete steps to realize their goals and make a lasting impact. Um, the famous people associated with this personality type are like Martin Luther King Jr., Nelson Mandela, Marie Kondo, and they also included Mother Teresa, but she was like xenophobic and stuff, <laughs> so whatever. Um, Okay, and then the strengths of this personality type are uh, that they're creative, insightful, principled, passionate, and altruistic. Their weaknesses are uh, they're sensitive to criticism, reluctant to open up, perfectionistic, and um, it says avoiding the ordinary, but I thought that that was like a, a stupid way to phrase that. It's more that they that it they're trying to say that it's like being unrealistic in the execution of your ideals. Um, mm-hmm. So you're just like making ridiculous steps to achieve your goals instead of like something more practical. Um, And then uh, they are also prone to burnout. So those are the weaknesses. Um, In romantic relationships, advocates care about integrity and they tend to bristle when someone tries to like change them or uh, talk them into something they don't believe. So 
advocates um, then gravitate towards partners who appreciate them as they are and don't try to like change them. And then uh, with people with this personality type, they tend to um, create a depth to their relationships that can hardly be described in conventional terms. Um, Because of their sensitivity and insight, advocates can make their partners feel heard and understood in beautiful ways. Now, for friendships, uh, they rarely settle for friendships of convenience. Um, They prefer to have a close circle of confidants. They also have high standards for their friendships. Um, cough, cough, Catherine, you don't don't call me out. Um, <laughs> and uh, they want to like learn new things and make new discoveries and deepen their bonds with their friendships. So so that's why they have those high expectations. Almost that specifically is like to a T the expectations you set for me. Like yeah, you want to definitely. know more. Like that was literally one of the things that one one time Jesse was literally like, I need to know more than just a catch up because we would see each other like only once a year or something like that. And then when we'd see each other, we'd do very surface level conversations because that's like, first of all, all we had time for. And I needed to catch her up on those aspects of my life so she could understand the deeper stuff. And she eventually was like, okay, we have to talk more regularly because I hate this surface level shit. Okay, so... Wait, do you think that mm -hmm. that is close to you? Like, do you think that's accurate? Yeah, um... I I don't know how I feel about, like, sensitive to criticism. I think the initial way I react to criticism might give people that impression, but I'm more just, like, um, suspicious of uh, people's claims that differ from, like, what I initially allege so like if somebody says like oh no you're wrong like it's not that I care that I'm wrong I just care that you better be right if that makes sense <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. I I don't know like if you're gonna make a claim like make sure that you're right and also like I really really want to know like how you're right so so yeah, if that makes sense. So like I'm a little bit defensive, but I don't necessarily care about being wrong. I just I just care that we find the right answer and that you have it. Gotcha. Yeah. That is a good way to describe you, I'd say. Look at you being all self-aware. <laughs> oh man, you know, it's not like I was raised by a psychologist, you know. Right, right. Yeah. That's funny. Okay, I want to know your Enneagram. Okay, so Enneagram, I am a three wing two, so that is known as the enchanter or charmer. I'm 98% of a match with type three, and I'm 92% a match with type two, and I was almost a wing eight because I had a 91% match with type eight personality. And just, again, for those unfamiliar, Enneagram basically gives you, like, one personality type, but sometimes if you're closely matched to another one, then you'll get what's called a wing. So I'm a three, mostly, but a wing two. And I could be a wing one, but we're just going to, or sorry, a wing eight, but we're just going to go with three wing two, because I think that that is pretty accurate when I, you know, read about it. So that basically means I have stronger three vibes, but a lot of two tendencies. So three wing two tends to be ambitious, charming, and enthusiastic in their behavior. They are driven and love to achieve. They tend to adapt their attitude to their environment, which can make them very effective communicators. The basic fear 
is um, a fear of failing and being unworthy of love. And they avoid this by setting and accomplishing goals in order to feel successful. <laughs> I'm I'm being called out here. It's so funny that we talked about goal setting like earlier in this episode. That's why it's so perfectly matched with the personality types because it's like you're hearing our goal setting and then it's like exemplified in our personality tests. Um basic desire. Their basic desire is to be admired and accepted. They seek value through accomplishment, which may push them deeper into their work. I will challenge this a little bit. I do like the idea of being admired and accepted, but again, I think that's changed a little bit with my age that I care less about like my image and what others think of me. And I care more about what the people close to me think and well not even necessarily think but like I want to make sure that they're happy and that I'm happy yeah I think like what would be more accurate is like their basic desire is to be loved like I think that's your basic desire is to just be loved (laughs) yeah I I love being loved I love love I always make Jesse practically gag whenever I talk about all the lovely things whether it's like good stuff with my mom or with Goldie or just other relationships or friendships. I'm just ooey gooey like that. <laughs> yeah, gross. Keep, keep going. Let's, let's uh, move on. <laughs> yeah. Strengths of three wing two. Dedication to achieving their goals. Naturally self-confident and self-aware. Ability to easily connect with others. Caring deeply for their community and being efficient in the workplace. Weaknesses are heavily focused on social image. Again, I just don't really think that's accurate anymore. I don't care. (laughs) Struggling to accept failure from others. That's definitely pretty accurate. I get very bothered if other people like stop trying or stop caring about themselves. Being overly competitive or possessive. Tendency to be unintentionally manipulative. I'd also say that last one's a little off. I I try really hard not to be manipulative because I was manipulated a lot in my life. (laughs) So, yeah. All right. I I would like to qualify. I think the heavily focusing on social image, like I I definitely don't think in the way that it means, I don't think that that's true for you anymore. But I do think that you are heavily focused on your image in your intimate relationships, like in your close relationships. Yes, I do care. You care very much about the image that you're setting towards people that you care about. Yes. Yeah, like the general public, like Instagram likes, stuff like that, I don't care about. But yes, with my important relationships, I want them to... Honestly, like I'm not afraid to say I want them to think highly of me. Like that is honestly one of the reasons why one of my love languages, top ones, is words of affirmation. I like to know that I'm doing well by them, that I'm doing the right things, and that I'm meeting their needs. Definitely. Okay, I guess it's my turn. Yes, Um, just tell me all about your Enneagram. Okay, so this is a good representation of what I was talking about earlier. So um, I scored the highest at 98% for personality type 5 the thinker. However, I also scored 97% for both type 1, the perfectionist, and type A, the challenger. Both are pretty self-explanatory, so I'm not going to go into this, but I did just want to point out that all three are almost the exact same percentage type or percentage amount, and they're, it's three of them. So That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, Okay, so the thinker. 
basic desire of type 5 people is to feel helpful and competent. Uh, They express this by passionately pursuing knowledge and working to gain new skills and abilities. Uh, Their fear is being useless and incompetent. (laughs) So it's basically the opposite of the basic desire. Um, So, like, less healthy fives uh, may have a deeply rooted belief that they are less able to do things than other people and therefore seek to fully understand the world in order to have more of an advantage. (laughs) I feel called out. (laughs) Um, Okay. So, uh, strengths. um, They think through complex problems, uh, observe the details of their environment, constantly learn and pick up new skills. Uh, They have an ability to remain calm in a crisis, and they focus completely on the task at hand. Um, Weaknesses, uh, taking time to listen to others share, uh, connecting to and working through emotions, uh, appreciating and thanking those around them, uh, recognizing when they are withdrawing and choosing to engage with others instead. So I actually liked the way that this was phrased. Uh, The last one, recognizing when they're withdrawing and then choosing to engage with others instead. So yeah, it's like both the recognizing and then choosing to do the right thing. Cause like the key point is that I recognize when I'm withdrawing, but I'm cool with that. And I just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then sometimes I'm like, come on, Jess, come on talk to me let's do things yeah it's annoying um so <laughs> right so yeah and i i don't know i liked the weaknesses section um i don't know because i like i know my strengths like those i felt like the strengths were really accurate um but i liked the weaknesses too because i just i've never had it like phrase that way and it also referenced something that I didn't realize that I wasn't good at until Badger pointed it out to me Mm -hmm. which was the appreciating and thanking those around me so I'm really good at criticizing people when something's messed up um (laughs) but but I I never I don't know like I've never been pushed to have a philosophy beyond just no news is good news like that's always been my philosophy is no news is good news if you don't hear from me you're doing it right like good job um and Badger was like like you're always so quick to point out when someone's doing something wrong but like you don't take time to appreciate when they're doing something nice or when they're doing something good and I was like, it really, really took me a while. Like, I had to go through, like, five-year-old level, like, linguistical analysis to, like, understand what he was saying. Like, I did not... I was, like, so... Like, people should be appreciated for the things that they should be doing. Yes. And... It's crazy, I know. it really struck I really struggled with him, with him and he was just like Jesse I feel like you're being a jerk about this you just need to like think about it and like yes people need reassurance and they need need to know that things are going well you can't just be silent 
and they know that things are going good. Like, <laughs> well, so, so that was a learning curve for me. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, I, I like, I don't know. I like having my weaknesses pointed out to me and, and like very succinct ways because it's helpful. So there, that, that's like, that just personified how I'm not defensive with or sensitive to criticism see i don't have a big deal with it i just i just need time to learn if that makes sense yeah yeah well to round out i had a couple more things i wanted to bring up the first one is i thought it would be fun to talk about like so with the enneagram what a friendship between a type three and a type five would be like and so obviously like there's a lot of writing on this, but just kind of the key points that I found are, is that this is a frequently seen combination, although it's not what is expected. The fives often give threes new depth, new areas of expertise and credibility while sparking creativity. And then the threes give fives confidence, presentation skills, and awareness of the importance of communicating effectively with others. They're both very focused on their work and on their objective concerns. They're preoccupied with competency and effectiveness, especially in professional areas, and this is where they support each other in an outstanding way. Although both have deep feelings, both tend to not focus on them for the sake of going on with their work. They understand each other's need to balance closeness with personal space. Uh, threes contribute social skills, the ability to communicate and to sell ideas and projects, charm, energy, and practicality. And then fives bring depth to understanding, expertise in one or more area, perseverance with details until the goal is accomplished, an objective, dispassion, and lack of attachment to outcomes. So basically, this can be a brilliant couple. Sharp, successful, competent, well-respected. Uh, they can lead to conflicts and tensions because of their emphasis on work. Um, then that goes into self-esteem, which I don't think is as is reliable and then threes and fives can get into more or less open conscious conscientiousness over who was the original source of ideas and work there can be elements of comparing claims about who is responsible and other forms of competitiveness and also threes want to get the project or whatever they feel needs to be done while fives tend to take a long time fine tuning and tinkering until they feel that they're adequately complete so that can be conflicts, just stuff like that with working together, which is ironic that we're working together in so much of our lives. Like that's how we became friends and pretty much how we've stayed friends is we always tackle projects together. Yeah, that's like our core skill set together <laughs> yeah, is like tackling together. projects. Yeah. Okay. And then the very last thing I wanted to kind of make like a joke. Um, I follow a couple of like Enneagram accounts like Instagram accounts that kind of showcase like more niche sides of an Enneagram like you know not the strength or the weakness but something as silly as like their coffee flavor you know what I mean like it would be mm. pretty easy to say a type three would be like a mocha whereas you know you a type five would be straight black coffee yeah so it's fun <laughs> stuff like that and I thought this was kind of funny so this is a day in the life of a five this is you Jess Finding a new way to solve a problem, shutting themselves in their private space, learning something new before lunch, doubting their qualifications for something they've studied for over a decade, being incredible listeners and advice givers, never spending a dime out of fear that there is not more where that came from, and then the high point of the day, seeing potential for a true utopian society. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, that's actually pretty spot on. And then, Especially the money thing. 
I saw that too, and I was like, yep. <laughs> yeah. Never spending money, because there just might never be any ever again. Uh, okay. And then a day in the life of a three me. Staring at their vision board while brushing their teeth. God, again, called out. I literally talked about a vision board earlier. Anyways, then yep. crippling imposter syndrome over breakfast. Podcasts on the way to work. <laughs> Cutting Cutting corners in the name of productivity. Okay, no, I would never do that. Helping someone else to see their potential and get out of their own way. Hate following their competition on Instagram. And then generally being highly effective and motivating. Yeah, I could see that. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I think everyone has has seen my therapist notes by now. Right. Right. And yeah, everyone knows too much. Yeah, so everyone knows too much now, and they all have my secret tips to living a successful life. Um, TM, TM, TM. So, goodbye. <laughs> well, on that lovely end, um, happy new year. That's very exciting. 2021 rocks already, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for hanging out with Coffee Talk. Cover art is by our very own Jesse and Kat. Theme music is by Spencer Thutt. Background music is produced under Creative Commons. Coffee Talk is an independent podcast supported by two struggling 20-somethings. So we shamelessly beg our listeners to support the podcast by subscribing to our Patreon or donating through our website, coffeetalkpod.com. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon.